Anybody tell you that I miss practice? I made my mistakes. If, 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 if a coach say I miss practice, whatever it is, it's not right on the teleprompter. And y'all hear it, then that's that. Don't you feel like that creates uh, tension between East and West? Yeah, I can't read it. There's no, there's no words on it. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. There's no words there. Well, I'm not a crook. What does that mean, to play us out? I mean, I might have missed one practice this year. What is... I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean? Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. We Welcome back to practice. another episode of Same Old Clippers with Lewis Keane and Robert Plum. Robert, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, uh, slowly, slowly getting through the Michigan winter. Um, you know, it's a long, it's a long season, but we're, we're nearly there. The light is at the end of the tunnel, I think. Yeah, man, we're not really experiencing winter out here. I think it's like 81 degrees outside, but <laughs> can't say for sure because I haven't been out there. But I was tanning in my room uh, earlier, and, uh, you know, it's something you can do in L.A. that you maybe can't do in, in Michigan this time of year. But, uh, you know, I haven't lived out in that part of the country for five years at this point. So maybe it's changed. Um, it is Monday today, uh, the Monday after All-Star Weekend, um, which I think was a pretty successful one. You know, the NBA put a lot of stuff together um, pretty quickly to do, you know, memorial tributes to Kobe, um, which I thought actually were almost perfect. Um, uh, and just, just well done. I think Common did a nice tribute. Um, I think doing the Elam ending with the 24, um, final score was good. Um, the only quibble I had with it is I just, the jerseys all being 24 and two made the game a lot harder to, uh, just visually understand. Like I kept thinking it was Buddy Healed. Um, out there, and it just it was never buddy healed, um, <laughs> which makes me sad. Um, but no, it was really sweet, and uh, the game was good. Uh, what did you think? I did not watch the game at all. Um, I what was I doing yesterday? I don't even know. But I I don't really feel like I missed that much. I understand like the game was it got a lot of acclaim, and people were talking about it on Twitter it's very hard for me to really care about a game that has no discernible impact whatsoever. And like, I'm also not one of those people who thinks that like, there are some big takeaways regarding the all-star game. Like, you know, Giannis not being able to take over some weird indictment of him and his standing in the league or like, I just, I don't care about that stuff. I don't really care about games that don't matter. And maybe I'm a bad fan or whatever, but I, I just, I don't care. It's fun, dude. It's fun. <laughs> Chris Paul dunk. Chris that was Paul sick. Alley oop dunk. Come on. I did see that. That was dope. That was dope. I, I do. I I like it. Um, I will say, the early two thousands All Star games were way better uh, than the ones we have now. Even with the new special endings and the quarters, which are competitions for charity. And, you know, they, they do all this, they do all these, I don't want to call them gimmicks, but they do all these, um, they, they, they work in all these tricks, you know, to, yeah. to the game, to spice up the game. And it's like, just play basketball. I mean, we don't need like a four point line, just like figure out, I, you know, I, I like figuring out ways to incentivize players to compete beyond mm-hmm. money. Um, but I understand people are going in, they're pretty hungover, but like when I was growing up, it was like Tracy McGrady throwing it off the backboard to himself. Like Tracy McGrady and Vince Carter, we like don't have athletes like that, uh, at the highest level of the NBA anymore. Like James Harden, um, Kawhi Leonard are not that player. Giannis probably is. Um, um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, anyway. I, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't, I just, I wish they would lean one way or the other. You know, we've talked about this before regarding other things, but I think the NBA tries to like have its cake and eat it too. A lot of the time where it tries to go like, we want to make this competitive and we want to make it fun. Like we want it to be something for fans 
and we want it to be something that players will care about. And I don't know if those things are always going to work. You know, like I think to some extent, like you could just lean into it and be like, this is a game that means absolutely nothing that is totally non-competitive and non-serious and will feature, you know, these guys doing 360 dunks and not trying on defense and just showboating. And that's fine. Um, or you could try to really make it like, you know, we want this to be a serious game between the NBA's best players, see how guys who will never play together otherwise play on the same team um, and just how it operates. And like, I just wish they would kind of choose one of those or the other instead of trying to get both. Cause I just, I don't know if they can get both. And I think it's just, it's kind of a problem because from what I understand yesterday, I mean, for all the hype about it, like the first three quarters were apparently pretty typical all-star game. Like, yeah, they were bad. Defense. Yeah, so it's like, and it usually at least, I mean, maybe in the past few years that there hasn't even been defense in the fourth quarter. But I mean, I remember that usually when I actually watched the All-Star game, the fourth quarter in general was usually at least somewhat competitive. Like, guys would try. I mean, this was maybe a little bit. Yeah, so, you know, I just wish they would choose one or the other. Like, either make it like something that does not matter and is totally for fun and just totally just purity enjoyment or try to make it something a little bit more serious and something that players will care about. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if both are possible. Okay. Well, here's, here are a few ideas. Number one, make it for no money at all. Mm. Make the game for no money instead of it for being a certain amount of money. So remove, um, just be like, all right, you know, it's, this is, there's, it's just pride. If you have it, you know, if not, <laughs> It's an all-star game. It's an exhibition, but there's no money involved. Okay. That's number one. Number two, um, you could do the Elam ending the whole game. You could just make it first, first to 50. Mm-hmm. Um, but that makes it harder to do subs and stuff like that. You said that there, there isn't any takeaways from the game, but Trey Young was a starter on the East and Kyle Lowry finished the game. And I mean- Giannis, said, Giannis said in the post game, we were just trying to go at James Harden every time, which is incredible. And also, like, that's, like, players figuring it out. Like, okay, this is, you know, if, if you were picking your top five guys, like, who's the guy that you're going to go at every time uh, if you got to get a bucket for the win? or like your But, I mean, I don't think that's really a takeaway. Like, I mean, James Harden is not a good defender. And, like, Kyle yeah, Lowry. you talk about it, like, is yeah. nice. That's cool. I mean, I agree with that. It's fun that they said that out loud. Giannis saying that is hilarious. I mean, as for the Lowry, Trey Young stuff, I mean – Lowry is a better player than Trey Young by like a significant margin, in my opinion. So, um, like, it makes sense that an actual coach and like actual players would want him on the court over Young. Um, okay, it wasn't just it wasn't just Trey Young that he put in. I mean, I mean, it, it wasn't just Kyle Lowry that he could have put in. He could have put in, you know, Jason Tatum or. Jimmy Butler or whoever was in. I don't remember who, who, who closed the game besides Lowry, but I think it was the starters plus Lowry over Trey Young. Um, so, I, I mean, I just like the idea of the coach. Like, yeah. what, if it was, what if it had been Trey Young's coach, you know, <laughs> putting Lowry in over him? I don't know. I, I, it, it is it's, – it's not the be-all, end-all of sports, but there's that doesn't mean there aren't ways that it can be fun. And mm-hmm. – um, there was definitely plenty of fun last night and guys were, guys were sweating it out. Um, I saw today that the fourth quarter was 15 minutes of game time where we're like normally used to 12. And the biggest thing for me was there were no commercial breaks until like, I think there was one commercial break, like at the, at the one forty seven point mark or something like maybe 10 points before the end. Mm-hmm. Um, which like I like, which registered for me cause I had to piss. So I was sitting there being like, oh, my God, like, let there be free throws. Let there be a timeout. Like, finally, there's a timeout. I, like, ran downstairs. Um, But, yeah, I mean, just keeping it less of a long commercial with games in between uh, Mm -hmm. made it more fun. Um, But also, dunk contest, because I wrote about this. Derek Jones Jr. is being – well, I think the dunk contest overall is being maligned for not producing the quote-unquote correct winner. Derek Jones had the best dunk uh, overall. Um, and I think one could say that the winner of the dunk contest should be the person with the best dunk. Um, and I don't think it's like such a crime that Derek Jones 
came away with it. Um, also, that means that that doesn't mean that they can't fix it by saying if there's an overtime round, which now there has been like multiple times, if it goes to overtime, each contestant should get one dunk and then the panel chooses whose was better. Like instead of rating them 50 versus 50, it should just mm-hmm. be like, okay, the five of us each get a vote. I like that. Because I think reasonable people could disagree whether the baseline through the legs right, or the, the windmill or whatever the final overtime dunks were. I think reasonable people could disagree which one they like better. But that's why you get, you know, you have these judges and they vote. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was a fun contest. Um, I wrote about Derek Jones Jr. for Inside Hook. Um, links up on my Twitter. You should read it. Um, and it was a fun weekend. Yeah, I, I did watch most of the dunk contest. It was a pretty good one. I don't, I just, again, like, I don't get why people care about it so much. Like, the outcome, it's like people are just like, oh, it's like this heinous crime that Aaron Gordon didn't win the dunk contest. Like, it's a dunk contest. I mean, I Not get it. Heinous crime. Heinous crime. Um, it's like, I mean, I guess I feel for him because, you know, people, like, he clearly put a lot of effort into it. And, you know, all these guys do. And I understand. I mean, they're super competitive. Like, I mean, that's why they're in the NBA. That's why they're some of the best people in the world at what they do because they have that competitive fire. But, you know, it's, again, just a dunk contest. It's, you know, human error. It's very subjective. And, like, just I don't understand why other people are getting upset. I can understand why Aaron Gordon is upset. But I don't understand why, like, just somebody on Twitter is, like, furious at Derek Jones for, or at Dwayne Wade or whatever whatever conspiracy theory there was. I can, I mean, why do people, why do people care about which movies win the the Oscars or like which artists get the Grammys? You know, it's like what they want to see their own taste validated. Um, If that taste is like blatantly, you know, almost quote unquote objectively better uh, than whatever one, then, you know, this is the kind of thing that people care about in society. As long as we create these awards, uh, we're hoping that people care about them as much as they do because that's how they, that's how the brands, you know. I guess I just All Star Weekend just does this does not interest me as a whole. Like I think the dunk contest is very fun. Like I like it. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy watching the three point contest. I'm like as well. right now. <laughs> I'm just gonna float across the screen. Um, but I I just don't care that much about it. I mean, it's entertaining. It's fun. Um, but it's not something that really grips me. You know. Like, the dunk contest is, is superhuman athleticism. It's fascinating to watch what they do. Um, you know, I thought Jones and Gordon would have easily won most years if they just competed. Um, I know. Did you realize Hamadou Diallo won? Like, what? That last year was, I remember, being really bad. Yeah. And I think that's why I didn't watch. Well, I wasn't planning on watching this year, but then I went to a bar to meet with some friends it was on. Um, but I think that one of the funniest things about uh, the dunk contest is how like players from it get overrated. Um, like, I think Derek Jones Jr. There's all all of a sudden gonna be a lot more attention on him. Like this guy won the dunk contest. Like it'll go in all of his bylines now. It's like I wrote about, I wrote an article about him. You're making you're you're talking about me right now. Derek <laughs> Jones Jr. is fun. Okay. He is. I'm not saying he's not fun. I'm just saying there will be people less informed and less qualified than you who will be writing about <laughs> how Derek Jones Jr. is like some, you know, breakout player. And he has been good this year, but they're going to write about it like from the context of the dunk contest and go backwards rather than incorporating that into a broader narrative. Um, and the same goes for Hamadou Diallo, who people were like, Hamadou Diallo is like, you know, this important young player for the Thunder. Like Hamadou Diallo is bad. Like, he's really bad. He, he could defend a little bit last year. He's a fine defender, but his offense is it's so bad. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, dunk. Look, he can dunk. Look, what, what I wrote my article about was Derek Jones Jr. figuring out how to dunk in games. Yeah. And, like, the Heat have basically – they stick him in the corner. He, he spent, like – I you know, I was watching Heat games and – heat tape yeah. and I'm like all right I'm just gonna watch Derek Jones Jr. because I'm, I'm gonna write about him I kept losing track of him I'm like where did this guy go like on offense 
he's always off the ball on the far side of the court mm-hmm. and he just waits until I stop paying attention and then suddenly he takes off and he dunks it. So uh, he's dunked the ball 56 times this year, Robert. That's like 56 very good plays for the Heat. Um, anyway, it's same old Clippers. So we talk about Clippers losing. Um, they lost <laughs> two times out of four uh, on this last road trip. Um, which was a hard road trip. Um, they had two pretty winnable games against pretty bad teams. Um, a Minnesota Timberwolves team that had Carl Towns, uh, Malik Beasley, and basically nobody else. Yep. Um, they lost. Uh, they got killed, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they played Cleveland. They blew out Cleveland, I think, the next night. Mm-hmm. Um and then they had two games against Philly and Boston, which I think uh, non-Lakers division, their two best games of the year. Um, in terms of the quality, you know. Yeah, for, fantastic basketball games. Yeah, these just great games. Um, both, yeah, I, I, I just thought the Sixers played an awesome game. Yep. Um, maybe their best game of the season uh, mm-hmm. for that team. Uh, and the Celtics played great too. Um, the Celtics game was a bit trickier because they were missing Paul George, um, but that one went double OT. Um, just fantastic game. Yeah. Hard, hard to you know, hard to come away from either of those defeats saying you're worried about the team, but at the same time, for me, I would have liked to get one and. Uh, and there were still things that I didn't like to see. So, so give me your, give me your, let's start with Minnesota. Are we just calling that a wash? So my thing is, and my thing has been all year is that, you know, these losses to bad teams are at one hand, you know, as we've said kind of all year, it makes the games very not fun to watch. Like it's, it's awful. It's brutal when they just don't show up and they don't play well and they don't play hard and they get destroyed by, like, the Hawks or the Wolves or, you know, Suns or whatever, it makes for a very unpleasant viewing experience. It really doesn't worry me. Like, these are games where they just aren't trying that hard and or, you know, they come in and think they can just win it all in the fourth quarter as long as they hang around and keep it close. Um, I think when push comes to shove, we've seen that against good teams, they play well and they look really good. I think. Somebody, I just saw somebody on Twitter today say that the Clippers have the best defense in the league when they play top 10 offenses. Of any team in the league, they have played the top 10 offenses the best. And I think that checks out. Like, when they play against a good opponent, they lock in. Um, So I really, I just don't have, also, I thought the Wolves played brilliantly. Like, credit to them. Um, You know, they were also making just a ton of threes that they probably normally don't make but they were moving the ball well. They played with like a ton of energy and just were hustling all over the place. Um, I just thought they played really well. Like I think even if the Clippers had shown up, they might've lost. I mean, it might've been more competitive and more fun, but the Wolves were just fantastic too. And sometimes that happens in the NBA. Like, you know, sometimes teams, like these teams all have very skilled, capable players. And sometimes those players play really well in a game. Um, I'm not really taking too much away from that. The Celtics and Sixers, I'm, I'm basically on the same wavelength as you, where it's like, would it have been good to get one of those victories on the road? Absolutely. Like, it would have looked really great on their resume. On the other hand, they played both those teams, who were two of the best five or six teams in the NBA, really hard and competitively on the road. The Celtics, without Paul George in the second half, against a team where Paul George is really needed maybe more than – just about any other team because of how many wings Boston has um, and how kind of undersized the Clippers can be at times. Um, And also not Pat Beverly for either of those games or really all three of those games. And Pat Beverly is like the the Clippers record without him over the past two years is abysmal. Um, Like, and you can say that says a lot about the attitude of the rest of the team. Like if Beverly isn't there, they kind of just lose something. But, you know, something I've also been talking about all year is that Beverly is really underrated as an actual basketball player. People will talk about his energy. They'll talk about his leadership and his heart. But he's a decent three-point shooter. He's a good, not great playmaker. 
he's a fantastic rebounder and he's a good, if you know, somewhat overrated defender. If you add all those things together, like he's just, he's a really good NBA player. Like he's, he's He's not like, like one, he is getting paid like one. Yeah. And like, he's, he's really good. And like the Clippers also don't have depth at point guard. And when they have nobody who can replace him on the roster or any of the things he does really. So when he's not there, there's a big gaping hole. And considering not having him and not having Paul George for the second half, I thought they played fantastic in both those games. I don't really have really many complaints. I mean, again, there are things they could have done better, um, especially defensively. I think against the Celtics, they weren't always quite there. Um, And I think the ball movement against the Sixers was really bad. Um, They kind of played into the Sixers' hands in a lot of ways. But again, like you said, the Sixers played fantastic. Great defensive team. Yeah. And like when the Sixers, when the thing, when things come together for the Sixers, they're like the most terrifying team in the NBA. Yeah. Like we don't have anyone for two of their guys. Yeah. Uh, they're two best guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and once yeah. they stuck, once they stuck Thibault in the game, uh, that dude creates problems, you know, for, for wing players of all skill levels. Um, that's one of the reasons that I looked at him early on in the season as someone who could make the playoff race, who could change the playoff race um, for the Sixers. Um, here's, here's okay, so first of all, you, the one thing that you haven't mentioned so far is Amir Coffey getting some serious run um, against the Celtics. Coffee time, like baby. He's, he's playing with a lot of confidence. Like, they stick him out there. He wasn't knocking down shots, um, but, like, he was very much involved. And I'm like, yo, I like watching this dude play. Um, he brings some size in. He brings some scoring. Um, yeah, I'm just looking for. He's like my new, you know, he's my new Ty Wallace. He's left-handed, you know. Uh, he, gets, he gets buckets in kind of unique ways. Uh, he can shoot a little bit better. But I'm happy to see, to see him get a chance. But I'd also like to see them start Terrence Mann uh, in that Sixers game over Lou Williams um, and keep the bench uh, just keep the bench in order um, keep that reserve unit in order I, like Lou Williams just did was not effective um, as a starter against Philly he had a nice game against Boston but especially because he's been kind of in and out of a groove lately I just I'd like to keep him in the role that he's in and not try to make him work as a starter with Pat Beverly out well, that's where I think, you know, the need for another backup point guard comes. Is like, even if it's not somebody that's going to play at all, if the team is healthy, like, I just don't think the Clippers trust Terrence Mann at all with minutes really at all right now, much less starting. And I think for decent reason, like, I mean, I'm still high on him as a long-term prospect. I like what the Clippers are doing with him developmentally. I like his overall skill set a lot. Um, but his complete lack of shooting – is really damaging right now. Um, and, you know, I just think they need a professional ball handler and point guard who can step in when Beverly is out and just get the offense into sets, which is why I like Derek Walton Jr. Um, it's not like he did anything great, but he could bring the ball up the court and just initiate offense as well as space the floor. Um, and that's why I think, you know, they, they apparently worked out Evan Turner uh, sometime in the past couple of days. And, like, that's a guy who, you know, do you want him playing minutes in a playoff game? Not really. But, like, during for, like, 15 minutes in the regular season, like, do you trust him to just bring the ball to the floor and, like, run an offense and get Kawhi and, like, PG the ball in good spots? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think, like to see them go after him. Yeah. I, I like Evan Turner. He's also hilarious. Um, He's also hilarious. And, I mean, say what you will about how much this means, but Portland – traded him away it looked like they got an upgrade as someone who was a better shooter uh in Kent Bazemore and they took a big step back so I mean look obviously that's not because they traded away Evan Turner but yeah I think if you ask everyone they would say we have missed Evan Turner more than we expected yeah I agree I mean I think that would be good I mean there are, there are other random guys who think you could just pick up just while Beverly is out and just stick in that role but I agree. I mean, I think starting Lou, especially against the Sixers, who are so big and so athletic, was a very weird decision. Um, and, again, I'm not sure what other answers there really were. I mean, I think Shamit at point guard, you know, could have worked as well. Um, 
but at starting at point guard, no. I mean, see, I, I I just think like as long as you're doing that, then just run Terrence Mann out there, and look, they might lose. You know what the the Spurs, and maybe you only do it for five minutes, uh, and then play Lou at the one the rest of the game. But like, remember when Tony Parker went down, and then Pop started Dejounte Murray against Patrick Beverly, and Patrick Beverly like cleaned him out basically, and wouldn't let him get the ball past half court. Dejounte Murray is a good is at least a yeah. more promising player now than he was back then. Uh, like, this is how you learn. You throw him in the fire sometimes. Like, Terrence Mann is a guy that's going to be thrown in the fire, basically, no matter when he's playing, because he's not an experienced point guard. So, you know, if it doesn't work, then you pull him. But I, I, I don't like um, I don't like starting uh, Lou in that spot. Yeah. Um, one other thing I was going to say is – you know, we've been talking about how these games don't matter or, like, the injury, you know, whatever. This team is not healthy. Um, and yeah. we've been saying for a long time, well, they'll get healthy and we'll be fine. But a hamstring injury in late February, you, you I just wouldn't bet on that being, quote, unquote, better. Uh, or healthy in late April. I just, I've seen too many Chris Paul seasons, um, you know, to, to think that Paul George just having a full, you know, a clean bill of health uh, by the time the playoffs come around is, is a safe bet. And yeah. same thing with Patrick Beverly and his groin injury. Like, and we talk about like, all-star games doesn't matter it definitely like it definitely annoyed me that pat beverly competed in the skills competition which i did not watch um and came out he came out and was like you know what i came out healthy so it's good and it's like what like are you taking chances like like so yeah that was very that was extremely weird to me like the priorities um being exhibited in that situation were poor um but yeah yeah, i mean you know the the whole the whole thing with this clipper season was you know we're we're playing it extra conservative everyone's going to come out healthy and blah 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 like they're like the least healthy team in the nba uh to me so like whatever they're doing to load manage to like keep to you know baby gloves with everyone it hasn't worked like all these guys are getting injured constantly like what what like what do we have to show for this regular season games don't matter mentality uh i don't know i mean i think really the only injury that i've been i mean the pap really doing the skills challenge thing is really weird um but I mean, the only thing that I think they've really mishandled has been Paul George. Um, yeah, like I don't know about. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't really know. Back, like, oh, we've we've like lost a couple of annoying games. Like, all right, Paul, like you ready to go? And we remember, you remember this happening with Jared Dudley a few years back, where he's yeah. like, Doc Rivers was like, all right, we like kind of need you though, and he was yeah. like, what? Then he was never the same after that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what they're doing there because he's had, this is like his third hamstring injury this year. And I think it's all the same hamstring and it's clearly just not healthy. I mean, I don't know. They probably, um, you know, they're worried about positioning and seating and whatnot, but like if you're confident in your team and the roster that you have built, like you should be confident in it. And I mean, I really think that, you know, they would be favored. Even if they didn't have home court advantage, they'd be favored in every series except against the Lakers. Um, and even if they were healthy playing the Lakers, I think it would be, it would be pretty close. Yeah. Um, but like, I of home court. Yeah, exactly. Because the Lakers would have home court for seven games, um, which is a huge advantage. Um, but, I mean, I think, like, outside of that, like, do you think they – even if they were, like, the six seed, do you think they wouldn't be favored against, like, the Nuggets or the Jazz or, like, the Rockets? Like, I don't – I think they'd be favored if they were healthy. Like, I think they should sit Paul George for, like, the next month. 
I don't care how many losses they have. I don't care how frustrated the rest of the team is. It's like, this is a team that's built to win a championship. Like, everybody should have been on board with this at the start of the year. That's what the implication was. Like, we were in this mentality. We're in it for June. We're not in it for, you know, November or February. Like, rest Paul George. Don't play him. Rest Pat Beverly until he's actually healthy. And, you know. Let these guys run. Let these guys play. Yeah. Let, let Rodney Magruder get into a rhythm. Let Patrick Patterson, like, play, play. You know, having these guys in games helps the locker room overall. Uh, let yeah. Zubac play more than 15 minutes. You know, like, these are all things that, like, championship teams benefit from, like, practicing during the regular season like Kawhi is calling a practice the Clippers organization is basically treating it like practice but what I expect to happen is oh Paul George is going to come back like we're, we're scheduling his return for February 28th and then like February 28th is like oh the timetable for his return is one to two weeks and then you're like it's like March 15th and it's like okay he's going to play one game and then it's like okay he's going to take, take the next two off like they have not been reassuring about any player's injury uh, this season. Um, not Kawhi's, like where it's been unclear whether he's hurt or whether they're resting him or whether he has a degenerative knee issue. Like there's no transparency there. Um, you know, we don't have a sense with Paul George, like whether he just aggravated during that game or whether like, or what. Um, so they, they're just, they're just not inspiring. Um, a prognosis of health for down the road. And that is, that is concerning. Cause like you go into this team, you go into a seven game series against Utah or Houston without Paul George, like certainly that shit's really hard. Uh, yeah. I mean, and I think that is something that, I mean, I think if they were really concerned about Paul George, I think the Marcus Morris, and I think we could transition a little there the acquisition makes more sense. If they're like, Paul George might be out for a month and a half. Like we need another guy who can create his own shot from the wing and score to keep us somewhat afloat in the regular season. That acquisition makes a lot more sense. Um, you know, I think I've made my thoughts on Morris fairly clear. I'm going to write a hopefully lengthy article about it soon, but I mean, what did he think about Morris, especially in kind of the context, as you said, of like this Clipper season where the wing really didn't seem like that pressing a need to me. I mean, everybody else, I'm very alone on Clippers Twitter and not particularly liking this trade um, from just about any aspect. But, I mean, I, I just was confused by it. I mean, I guess it makes sense. If they think Paul George is going to be out or miss a lot of time over the next like couple of months, it makes more sense. But I don't know. I and mean, What did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not – I my, my take in the newsletter, Unstatable, which I write, um, was that it was basically a good trade. I mean – uh you know they took a a player who shot 30 percent from three and they turned him into a guy who shot 38 percent from three um or whatever the numbers are but uh like i understand that it's not exactly plug and play uh and he, he stops the ball like i i basically i grant a lot of your points one thing that i thought was interesting was people are looking at Marcus Morris as like this, like tough, like gritty player um, where he's really just a guy who gets in a lot of fights. Yeah. And those, aren't, and those aren't the same thing. And yep. that was pointed out to me by um, a new friend I made, Charmy Lee, uh, who I met at this Clippers watch party. And I was basically talking to him like about the Clippers. And she said like, I've, she wasn't a fan of the Mo Harkless or of the, of the Mo Harkless trade because like, grit and anger are not the same thing and um you know one can make the argument whether uh marcus moore should be in jail uh right now uh, <laughs> over um a violent uh beating basically that he and his brother were involved in that basically they couldn't charge them because they didn't know who did it because they're identical twins um yeah, like, it took two games for him to get in a fight that was, like, completely meaningless and, like, started out of nothing. And, like, Patrick Beverly, like, 
sticks his nose in people's grills and he's probably like the angriest guy on the team if you want to call it that but he doesn't go looking to fight in my, in my sense of it like he's no, going to frustrate people sure like get under their skin absolutely um preen yes but <laughs> he's not like slapping people's arms and like spitting in their face kind of thing and well, like marcus morris brings that i don't know how much of an addition it is i don't uh, think that does anything i mean the thing with morris to me is that it all stems back to the lack of basketball iq right like in that game against philly it was a close game they were on the road they were down and he starts a fight with joel Embiid. fight in in air quotes that does nothing for the Clippers. All that does is energizes the crowd and gets Philly super hyped up. That's and not, Embiid. yeah, and Embiid, who has like been who notoriously squatted the shit out of his layup like twenty five seconds later. Yeah, like that is not a smart basketball play. Pat Beverly is good at identifying like this guy can get heated and lose his cool. I will irritate him. It's not just that he does it because that's kind of in his nature. It probably is but he does it really smartly. Like, it's part of – I'm not going to say he's, like, at Chris Paul's level of, like, point guard type stuff because he's not. But, like, that's a Chris Paul thing where, like, he does every little thing he can to try to win the game. That's part of Pat Beverly's thing. That and, has nothing – And yeah. just to bounce, to jump off that, he's doing that while staying within himself on the court. Yes. So – he knows what his role is as a defender, as a ball handler, as, a, as a, an offensive creator, uh, and he sticks to that, even as he's coloring outside the lines, uh, you know, in, in terms of social interaction on the court. Yeah, and, like, I think, you know, also in that, that second half, the second half of that quarter against the Sixers, Morris took two awful ISO, where he tried ISOing Al Horford and took, like, contested mid-range shots, just dumb shots. Like, whether his, like, high emotions had anything to do with it, I don't know. But, you know, I just think the difference there, as you said, and I think you put it well, is, like, there's a difference between being tough and being somebody who just is hankering for a fight. Um, And, I mean, I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is Marcus Morris a tough dude? Yeah. But does that help in the context of an NBA game? Like, is it something that, like, you see – as being a benefit, I don't necessarily think so. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's like a bad trade. I'm not, I don't think it's like, you know, oh, what was me? Like the Clippers lost their finals chances by trading for Marcus Morris. I just really didn't see the point of it. Um, and I don't just, I just don't think he really helps the team that much. Like looking, it's one of those things we're looking at in a vacuum. You're like, yeah, he averages 19 points. He's shooting, you know, 43% from three on however many but, like, basketball is not just, like, a plug-and-play, like you said. And it's also not just a blank math equation where you can just add in Marcus Morris, 19 points, Marcus Morris, you know, 43% on threes, and it's all of a sudden just this magical fit. Like, he needs the ball. He likes operating from the mid-range, which is where Paul George and Kawhi Leonard like to operate. Um, he's not that good defensively. I won't say he's awful, but he's overrated on that end. Um well, didn't and he have the reputation of being a LeBron stopper? Like, wasn't that's that such, it's like the stupidest reputation. He's defended him a lot. That doesn't mean he's defended him well. It's like, yeah. like, it's like Damari Carroll a few years ago, where like Damari Carroll was like, oh yeah, this guy defends LeBron a lot. Like, he can guard LeBron. It's like Damari Carroll in his prime, you know, very nice basketball player, had about as much chance of stopping LeBron as, you know... I wouldn't say as I do because that's factually incorrect, but um, just not not a guy who can be like, yeah, you can slow down LeBron. Marcus Morris is not that. Like, um, and the thing that really irritates me is that, and I think you'll agree with this, is that the guy who everybody thinks Marcus Morris is and or should be is in fact Jamichael Green, who can oh, yeah. hit, who can hit threes, is actually tough, is actually gritty and can actually play a stretch five. Marcus Morris does not have the defensive IQ, aptitude, size to be a center. DeMichael Green has done that role and has done it effectively. 
I just, I don't understand it. Like, they had a guy who was a perfect fit in the starting lineup next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and his name is Jamichael Green. Like, and for all the people who don't want to play Mo Harkless in the playoffs next to those guys, again, the solution is simple. Either go small with Shamit and play Leonard and Paul George at the three and four, or start Jamichael Green, who can shoot and hit threes and is a better interior defender than Marcus Morris is. So, Again, I don't hate it. Like, I don't think they gave up, like, that much for it. I think, you know, in a vacuum, he's, you know, he does provide some things that the Clippers could use, like the three-point shooting. But I just don't understand it. I didn't think it was a particularly good trade. I didn't think it was a particularly bad trade. But I don't see the love for it, I guess. And that's been my disconnect. I don't really see the need for it. Um, And I'm going to write more about this soon because it's really been irritating me. And I've just been trolling people on Twitter by shit talking it, and I feel like I should actually just kind of defend it at a certain point. But yeah, I mean, when you, when you say that a trade like this isn't going to cost the Clippers a championship, like it is still warranted to be upset about it because it's it always feels like these moves on the margin do make or break a season. Yeah, and it's also like who you're being asked to root for as long as you're a fan. Yep. Yep. And the way I looked at Harkless was at least low maintenance and pleasant to talk to. Yeah, cool uh, guy. When I go into the locker room, uh, is, you know, going to quip back, you know? Um, so we shall see, we shall see with Morris. Um, the, the one other thing I'll say, Jermichael Green, great point, but what other deal was out there? You know, like, who else got traded at the deadline that, like, you would have rather had? And I'm not sure – I'm not sure that guy was available. Like, I really wanted Baines, you know, Aaron Baines. Someone who's tough, plays five, can shoot, um, you know, can play with different lineups. I I, I don't think that he was there on the market. I think Gorgie Jang was imminently available. Um, you think Gorgie Jang would have done shit for this team? Yeah. <sighs> Come on, man. I, I do not want to see Gorgie Jang out there playing playoff minutes for my team. I would be fine with that. I would also would have loved to have brought in James Johnson somehow. Oh, no, no. There, you will not find – you will not <laughs> any disagreement from me on that. Is he in Memphis now? Yeah, and he's playing well. Oh, and Memphis is going to make the playoffs. They're not going to buy his ass out either. Wait, actually, is he in Memphis or Minnesota? No, he was on Minnesota because he killed the Clippers in that game. That's right. Yeah, and, like, he went to Memphis, and then they just shipped him to Minnesota for Gorgie Jang. That was, like, a small part of that deal. It was, like, a five-team deal. But, anyway, like, James Johnson, for considering the low cost of whatever – He's nice, dude, and he's so fun to talk to. He's hilarious. He, and he's tough. He is actually tough. He's tough and he's not start, trying to start fights. He's actually tough. He's actually gritty. He's a better defender and ball handler than Marcus Morris, both of which are more important to the Clippers, I think, than the outside shooting. I, that would have been a better move to me, considering the assets they gave up. I would have much rather them just swapped Harkless and, like, Jerome and no other picks, just that, for James Johnson. That, that would have been a great move to me. Um, it's like, but like it all comes back to like how people analyze the game, which is unfortunately still predicated a lot on points. It's like Marcus Morris is good because he scores a lot of points. And people, you know, no matter how much you talk. Yes, this year. Yeah. Like, Never scored have, as many points before. Lawrence right. Frank called him a proven scorer. I'm like, bro, he hasn't proven shit. He proved 19 points on the Knicks. Like, come on, man. That's not, that's not proven. He's shooting, he's shooting way above his career averages. It's going to come down. It's already coming down. I think it was an outlier. It was like December. He shot like 55% from three or something. And look, the Celtics. 39 on, on, on the Clippers. I mean, 38 on, on decent volume is still good. Like, I'm not, not going to say that. That's why it happened. Yeah. No, like, that's still good. Like, I'm not going to knock that. But I mean, I think the outside you know, expectations are, are just not there. And like, yeah, again, to what has he proven? It's like, he's a proven competitor. Like he was on the Pistons when they got steamrolled by the Cavs. He was on a bunch of bad Suns teams. And then 
he was on the Celtics team that was miserable, and that improved substantially once he left this year, and saw the guys who replaced him have career breakout seasons. Like, I, like, I just uh, – there's so many – like, and again, like, my final point on this, because I could talk and write about this for, like, forever. Yeah, I want to get your opinion on Marcus Morris before we go. <laughs> is the fun thing, right? Like, who do you root for? And I think it's important, like, you know, even if we're, as you said in your, you know, last newsletter, like, you know, journalists, like, you're not fans anymore. Like, you're still watching this team. You're still watching this team a lot. You want them to be fun to root for. You want them to be fun to talk to. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't like watching Marcus Morris play. I don't like the things he says. And, like, that matters to me. Like, maybe it shouldn't as, like, a journalist and somebody who gets credentialed and, like, writes about the team for, like, hundreds of thousands of people. But it does. Like, I don't want to watch Marcus Morris on the Clippers. And that's, you know, it is what it is. Okay, so (laughs) with that, we come to our disrespect. I disrespect the Cleveland Cavaliers for making Michigan's all-time greatest basketball coach hate basketball within 50 games. Uh, Who Who is their coach? Why don't you tell us more? So John Beeline was hired by the Cavs to like a four or five year deal for a lot of money, I believe, last summer. Hired away from the University of Michigan. A lot of money. He got the bag. He is all time successful with Michigan, revitalized their program, made them a basketball powerhouse after they were irrelevant for years. Um, regarded as one of the best tacticians in college basketball, brought him into a young rebuilding team and have made them hate basketball and apparently seemingly hate life. Um, Some of it, I think, is on him. Like, I think there's been a lot of fair critiques about how he hasn't really – there is a jump between talking to players in the NBA and in college and, like, the shifts in the locker room and the dynamics and power are there, and I don't think he's adapted to that. But he's still, like, an all-time brilliant basketball mind who loves the game of basketball. I've interviewed him. I've talked with him. And, like, he has been miserable this year. He's going to step down either sometime this week or at the end of the season. And it's a shame. And the Cavs are just a, a, a disaster. They're an absolute disaster. Um, well, thank you, Rob. I think uh, my disrespect this, this week is for Yao Ming. What? <laughs> you know who Yao Ming is? I do know who Yao Ming is, but <laughs> where did that come from? Yao Ming, I'm disrespecting this week because my friend sent me this tidbit earlier uh, earlier this week. Uh, you know, uh, Yao Ming is the president of the Chinese Basketball Federation, which is basically, you know, uh, who who plays that role here? Like Jerry Colangelo? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's basically, it's, it's a little bit of a bigger deal there than it is here. Like Jerry Colangelo doesn't really, it's not really his vision of how, you know, kids play basketball Mm -hmm. in the U.S. the way that it is like in China for Yao. Um, but basically ever since, uh, Daryl Morey's tweet about supporting the protesters in Hong Kong, uh, Yao Ming has cut off the NBA completely and oh. refused and refused to take their calls. Wow. His only he he only uh put that aside for can you guess? I have no idea. For for David Stern's funeral. Okay. So I think he came to New York and went to David Stern's funeral and then left again. I think he's he completely stopped picking up their phone calls. And uh, then I think Kobe's death has like brought him back into the fold. And now, uh, now Adam Sorber says that China and the NBA are moving towards a detente. Um, mm. I don't respect Yao because... he should represent something so positive about basketball's, um, you know, reach and uh, symbolic importance and, you know, 
even democracy. Um, but instead, he's standing for the limitations of of basketball diplomacy um, and just, uh, I guess, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, you'd like to see Yao be more of a, you'd like to see Yao have better politics. And mm-hmm. not it's not just that he has like, politics that you don't like it's that like he's willing to die on the hill of those bad politics that makes um that makes his his recent uh treatment of the nba uh discouraging that is disappointing i had no idea yeah but i will say you know first of all yeah i was under i'm sure he's under pressure from his bosses Mm -hmm. to um to take the stances he's taken however like he's still fucking Yao Ming and he does have agency here. And I'm not going to say he doesn't just because she, yeah. uh, Jinping is a psychopath, um, and a dictator. Uh, Yao is part of his regime. He can do shit. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I, I kind of think it's funny that the NBA is like, Oh, look at all the, uh, positive work we're doing overseas. And then it just gets slammed right in their face as soon as they mm-hmm. have to take stance um but i think this offseason especially i guess the 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 365 days between when daryl morey first tweeted that and the first anniversary of that happening have and are going to continue uh to reveal um a lot about what matters to NBA players, what matters to the league itself, and uh, it rhymes with shmoney, Rob. Uh, <laughs> these guys are losing money over a stance for democracy in a different country. Uh, that's not sitting well with them, clearly. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think the stances that NBA players in general have taken are, are particularly meaningful. Um, I think we overrate them a little bit in terms of their social impact. Um, for example, Kevin Love's like uh, treatise on mental health. It was, I thought that was um, valuable for the NBA. Uh, I don't think the social impact of that was considerable at all. I think it, it kind of made a ripple when it happened, but is it like easier to come out and talk about, you know, social anxiety or depression or stuff like that? Because DeMar DeRozan came forward and said, I have it. I no. don't know. No, I don't, I don't think so. But it's it still, easier, it's, it's, it's easier to go to your work and say, I have to take a day off because I'm feeling the stress get to a point where like I'm not eating or I like wake up with jaw pain. No, it's not. No, it that My has, particular a, that job. has a very insulated impact on the NBA. The NBA's player association uh, is a strong union and they can create uh, infrastructure for mental health. They're not fighting for anyone else's. Um, and so I think this whole thing going back to Yao, and I know this has been a bit of a tangent, but I, I just think that the limitations, um, are, are are revealed whenever uh, any skin is actually in the game. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And, uh, you know, this pod is all about tangents. You know, I talked about Marcus Morris for 20 minutes. You can talk about uh, Yao Ming and the ripple effects of the China stuff for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, whatever. So, one yeah. One thing. No, no respect for Rob Manfred. Big disrespect for Rob Manfred, the commissioner of MLB. Huge disrespect. He used to stick his boot deeper and deeper into his mouth um it's now protruding from his stomach uh it is so embarrassing every time he makes a um uh, some sort of statement or or release or news release whatever about the the astros cheating uh it's been good for the sport to have a bad commissioner as a punching bag but it's been bad for the sport to see these guys get off the hook so I hope that the – so big respect to all the MLB players, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, uh, Mike Trout, uh, all these guys who have come forward and just continue 
to hammer uh, baseball, uh, you know, Major League Baseball for, for their failure to handle the Astros scandal. Big kudos to Mike Fires, the, the pitcher who came forward uh, with the story um, that caused all this to happen. And, uh, yeah, anything else before we go? No, just second half predictions really quickly. What do you think? Uh, I mean, we already kind of discussed this because, you know, you think the Clippers are not going to be very healthy and kind of, you know, that'll be looming over them. Do you have any other kind of predictions for the second half as to what might happen? Like, do you think of your coffee will have a breakout? Uh, you, yeah, anything else? I just want to say who you think is going to win each conference. Um, I think the Bucks and Lakers have locked up the one seed. Um, the Bucks are seven games ahead. Uh, Lakers four, but they're going to be fine. Um, I had the heat as recently as like last week, making it out of the East. Um, the Raptors are playing so damn well right now and their defense is insane. Uh, I'm, I'm not comfortable picking against the Raptors right now, Rob. I'm still going to say the Bucks, but I think the Celtics have honestly been very impressive. Um, you know, Tatum's breakout um, combined with kind of, I don't know how deep their kind of the mid to end of their benches, but they have like seven very good NBA players. Um, and they have a lot of wings, which is really important. Um, you know, they can defend a lot of different lineups. Uh, and I think they're, they're pretty scary. Um, I think the Raptors are really, really good. Um, you know, they have a lot of depth. Nick nurse has proven to be an extremely good coach. Yeah. Um, and Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam are amazing, um, you know. So I the, think the question, the question to me is basically whether the Raptors will run into Philly or whether the Bucks uh, will like meet them first. Yeah, I mean, I think like, I think that the Phillies' matchup problems for Toronto are 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 difficult. Yeah, I mean, I think there's the matchups in the East. And, I mean, and the West are going to be fascinating because I think there's a lot of you know, certain teams will do really well against some and not others. Um, like, you know, I think the Clippers could struggle against, like, the Rockets, for example. Um, yeah, that's the Clippers. That's what Doc is looking at. He's looking at the three seed as, like, if we don't get the he, – he's looking at three seed right now as three seed or bust. Because yeah. he's like, yeah. if I give up the three seed to the Jazz or, or the Rockets, then I'm getting either the Jazz – or the Rockets in the first round, and I don't want to coach against either of those teams for seven games. I just don't. Like, I, I, think, I Doc Rivers is like, I have before, and it sucks. Uh, so I think he's looking at the three seed, which, by the way, Clippers have a half-game lead over the, over the Jazz for the three seed. Uh, they're not keeping that. So yeah. it's, it's going to be uh, – it could be a difficult first round for the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they match up decently with the Jazz. I mean, I think it's still the Jazz are a pain to play, um, and nobody ever really wants to play the Jazz outside of maybe the Warriors when they were at their peak because they just did so much that just negated what makes the Jazz good. Um, I mean, I'd be way more scared about Houston. Um, but, I mean, neither of those teams are, will be fun to play. I think the Clippers match up very well against the Mavericks. I think um, – yeah. The Mavs are good. The Mavericks have no chance. Look, I'm not worried about the Mavericks, the Grizzlies, or the Thunder. Uh, I'm not worried about the Nuggets either. The Jazz and the Rockets are just annoying to play, and they take yeah. a lot out of you even when you beat them. So yeah. you have to beat um, them four times. If it was a first-round series, you'd have to beat them three, but you actually have to beat them four, and that's just – it's a lot of miles. And, you know, all those games are just – it's like double mileage, you know? Yeah, and as for who comes out of the West, I mean, I think I think the Lakers have to be favored. Like – Oh yeah, they're the they've been the best team so far. They are healthy, um, and they're you know they're play they're they're going to play a pretty bad team in the eight seed. The Grizzlies they, they super match fun. Up really well. They match up really well with the Jazz, yeah, and as well as anyone else with the Rockets. So yeah, like and I mean I think head to head the Clippers probably have an edge, but like we've discussed, like the Lakers will have home court advantage every single game of that series, and that means a ton like it's it's it would be a tough series for the Clippers to win I mean and if they are not healthy I mean that's a loss like they need to be fully healthy 
they need Paul George and Pat Beverly. Both those guys are extremely critical um, to defending and, and beating the Lakers. And whether either of those guys is healthy is kind of an open question mark at this point. Um, I think the Lakers have to be favored coming out of the West. I don't really even think it's that close, to be quite honest, until we see Paul George and Pat Beverly get healthy again. Yikes. <laughs> okay, man. Well, I will see you after the, I will see you after the next loss. Yeah. And uh, it's been good talking. Rob uh, is, has just launched his new site, 213hoops.com. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, donate, subscribe. Uh, it's, it's worth your money, and, uh, and the content will be good, too. Sounds good. And that's, uh, that's it for us. Uh, Clippers play again on Saturday. Uh, hopefully they don't lose right away, but uh, you never know. So we might be back sooner than you think. We talking about practice. All right, go, go. Ten, five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it. I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. I can't do it. I mean, how silly is that? We'll do it live. Practice? We'll do it live. Practice? Do it live. I can. I'll write it, and we'll do it live. Not, not, not the game that I go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We're talking about practice, man. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away. I mean, how silly is that?